Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your initial deposit. Good evening, everybody. Happy Thursday. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, live Patriots Beat podcast Q&A edition on this Thursday afternoon. Just uh, under two weeks until Patriots minicamp opens on July 27th. And we're going to start today by talking about a, a little Stefan Gilmore slash Xavier Howard conversation here as the Miami Dolphins corner is also unhappy with his contract in Miami. And then we will get into some of your questions. So if you have questions, drop them in the live chat. We're going to have an opening thought here on the Howard and Gilmore situations. And then we'll field all the questions that we can over the next hour. So continue to keep asking those questions and, and we'll definitely get to them soon. But Alex, Mike Silver of NFL Network yesterday tweeted out a thread about Xavier Howard, who last year was an all pro corner for the Miami Dolphins, led the league in interceptions, uh, led the league and in interceptions plus pass breakups. One of the best on ball defenders in the entire National Football League, right? When he's targeted, yeah. nobody plays the ball better than Xavier Howard with a few exceptions, maybe. But He signed in 2019 at age 26 a five-year, $75.25 million contract. That puts him at a shade over $15 million a year. And after having that terrific season last year down in South Beach, he wants a new deal. And it sounds like there's at least been some preliminary talks with teams reaching out to Miami to see if he would be available in a trade because he is unhappy with his contract. This obviously does directly relate, although Howard's a few years younger than Stephon Gilmore. It does relate to Stephon Gilmore, what Gilmore's asking price might be and what also he might get in a trade if the Patriots did start to shop him because they couldn't resolve the contract situation. So just kind of a domino effect here of Howard also making him it known that he is unhappy with his contract yeah and it, it it can happen without anything happening that effect right because I, I whatever happens with howard is going to affect gilmore and vice versa howard's slightly younger he had his all pro season more recently 2020 versus 2019 so in terms of overall value howard probably does have the edge right now so if he were to sign first right that sets the ceiling for gilmore If he gets traded, that lets the Patriots know the ceiling of what they can expect back for Gilmore. Now, the reverse is true, too. If something happens with Gilmore first, it sets a floor for Howard, whether it be through contract or trade. So, And I wrote about this for 98.5thesportshub.com this morning. You can check it out there. You can essentially, what, what might happen here is a game of chicken within a game of chicken. Because you already have Stephon Gilmore and the Patriots who are trying to be the last one to break. You have Howard and the Dolphins who are trying to, you know, between the two of them want to be the last one to break. But I don't think either situation, whether it's Miami or New England, wants to be the first one to be resolved. They want to see what happens elsewhere because it affects things, right? If Howard gets signed, and I don't think the Patriots would trade Gilmore. I think they need him. But just hypothetically here, if Howard gets signed, maybe there was a team 
willing to offer a package for Howard, who's now desperate. They need a corner. Gilmore's the only one left. Maybe that value increases, right? So it's really all intertwined. I think that you're, you know, I, I, and I think again, it's going to turn into a game of chicken. I think what this could ultimately end up doing is delaying the negotiations between the Patriots and Stephon Gilmore, which isn't good for either side. Right. What's crazy about this with Howard is Gilmore, we talked about that sort of pre-agency period, right? Where he is one year until right. pre-agency. He's got one more year on his deal. So he's playing on his final year of that contract. Xavier Howard still has three more years, including 2021 well, on that so five-year deal. He does, but there is an opt-out after 2021. Right, right. So they can get out of the deal. But my point being is that he he's driving a, a pretty hard bargain here for a guy that's under contract yeah. for three more years to all of a sudden start to hold out now. And I think what ended up happening was Jalen Ramsey really broke the bank for cornerbacks, right? He completely reset the market. He signed a deal with an AAV of $20 million with the Rams. And when you sign that kind of contract, I think the domino effect that it has on the rest of the cornerbacks when they say, wait a second, you know, Jalen Ramsey is probably the best cornerback in football, but I'm number two and I'm making $5 million or less, you know, a year less. And Stephon Gilmore's case, it's even more so than that. So really what ended up happening was that Ramsey signs that contract. It completely blew up the entire cornerback market and reset what cornerback's value is. And secondly to that, in Miami with Brian Flores, although there are some stylistic differences to what Bill Belichick does up here in New England, it's obviously the same roots, right? And the two most right. man-heavy teams in the entire league in terms of coverage are the Patriots and the Dolphins. They played more man coverage than any team in the NFL, those two teams last year. So and in, in 2019 for that matter as well. So these are two teams that with Howard and with Gilmore as their lockdown corners, that's how they run their system, right? That's how they get away with playing all this single high man or playing zero blitz stuff like, like Flores loves to do. And I think the Dolphins are in a really similar spot where Byron Jones is a decent a very, well, I should right. say, very, very good number two, but is he a true number one in such a man-heavy system? If they have to go out and Byron Jones has to guard Stephon Diggs twice a year, is he going to be able to do that at the same level that Xavier Howard can? Probably not. So they have a really good number two, like the Patriots have a really good number two in J.C. Jackson, but it, there is a drop-off there, right? There is a right. pretty steep drop-off from one to two just because of how good number one is. So the Dolphins need to make Xavier Howard happy if they want to really – they've really put themselves in a position with all the moves that they've made in the draft, drafting Tua and drafting Jalen Waddell and all the things that they've done in the last couple of off-seasons. They want to compete. Right. This is a team that wants to compete right now and thinks that they're on the up and up. And if they lose Xavier Howard, that whole thing kind of comes crumbling down. It's a very similar situation, I think, for both corners. Eerily similar, yeah. Yeah. Although I think the biggest difference obviously is age and, and, yeah. and Howard is two years younger. But because of that, I, I think the next sort of domino here is Xavier Howard's trade compensation, if he were to be moved, I don't think he'll get traded by the Dolphins. But if he is traded by the Dolphins, we would have to think that it's going to be for more than what Stephon Gilmore would get in a trade. Yes and no. I think that 
in, like in a vacuum, yeah, Howard goes for more. I think with Howard and Michael Silver had this yesterday. With Howard, you're looking at a first round pick. We we've kind of come to terms with the fact that with Gilmore, you're probably looking at a second. That being said, if Howard gets moved and there's teams seriously competing for him, you could if you're the Patriots and you're set on moving Gilmore, which again I would not do. I think the Patriots needs to find Gilmore. But if the plan is to move him and Howard gets moved, you go to one of those teams that was about to give up a first round pick for Xavier Howard and say, you, you clearly need this guy. We know you need this guy. You were about to give up a first for number one corner. He is a number one corner, right? You basically like a team gets it in their head that they need that guy. And you kind of take advantage of that. You take advantage that they were in the mindset of trading a number of uh, trading a first round pick for an elite corner and you kind of pull the switcheroo on him. Like, yeah, you're not getting Howard, but you'll get Gilmore, who's not a bad consolation prize. Again, if I'm the Patriots, I'm not moving Gilmore. Can't stress that enough. But if they are going to, they could maybe take advantage of a team that loses out on a Xavier Howard sweepstakes. Right, and, and a team like that's going for Xavier Howard, I mean, Ramsey, again, was a little bit younger than Howard, also is right now, I think by a couple of years. Right. But that kind of haul, if you're going to give up at least a first-round pick, maybe more for Xavier. I don't Howard. think it's going to be more than that. Nothing, nothing consequential. Maybe it's like a first and a fifth or something like that. Right. But, but even if you have to give up that first round pick for Howard, there could be a team out there that's in this win now mode. Like just for an example, I'm just throwing them out there. Let's take green Bay, for example. Right. And they want to pair Jair Alexander with another stud corner and really take a run at this with Aaron Rodgers and probably make Aaron Rodgers happy in the process by making sure that that defense is going to be great. Are, are you more inclined to give up the first round pick for Xavier Howard or give up a, a sec, a late second, third round pick, something like that for Stefan Gilmore, right? You know, you could, you right. could get for one year, you could get the same level of play that you get with Howard, but you don't have to give up the big time compensation. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's, uh, that's possible as well. Again, it's just the two are going to be interconnected. I was surprised because when I saw that yesterday, I and I kind of put it out there like, hey, I bet these two will be linked. And then I realized the report had been out there for an hour, and I was surprised nobody had had mentioned it because yeah. I don't see how those two situations can happen independently of each other. I think they're absolutely tied together. I think that down in one Patriots place, they will have a very close eye on what's going on in Miami, vice versa. And I don't think either side's going to want to break first because once one of those deals gets done or a trade is made on one side, whether it's New England or Miami, the other side loses a ton of leverage. So I, I think that uh, they're they're going to want to they're going to want to wait on that. Yeah, and not just the from a longevity of the contract standpoint, from a years, maybe Stefan Gilmore's agent and Stefan Gilmore aren't necessarily looking at Xavier Howard as a comp, but from an AAV standpoint, yeah. I'm sure they're going to look at it and say, Hey, well, we know that you're, we're not going to sign our guy to a five-year contract. Like you might sign Xavier Howard, but we want the same number just for two years or three years or and something I, like that. I think that's what you're looking at. I think that the AAV will likely be Gilmore's might even be higher. Because if you're going to go five years on Howard, one or two years with Gilmore, he may actually be able to get slightly more AAV. If he gives up a year, right, I think realistically he'd probably want three or four. If he gives up a year, he may be able to get more per year than Howard does. 
So the other question here that uh, as we get into some of these questions, and again, uh, drop your questions in the chat. We're now going to open it up to all your questions, and we're going to answer as many as we can. So make sure to drop them in there, and we'll get to them as we go here. But this is a really interesting point by by Christopher. Gilmore's health and how that sort of factors into all of this. I think we all, he did have off-season quad surgery. He told Josina Anderson that he's basically all the way back. You know, he, he said that he could report to camp if he had to. That's a leverage play, right? That's not necessarily that he's not healthy. It's, it's, it's a piece of leverage in the negotiation. But how much we talk about Gilmore's age being a big-time impact on his next contract and, and or in a trade in terms of compensation. But how worried are you about the injury? Because 30-year-old corner, there's tons of studies out there where this tends to be either this year or next year, the cliff is coming for Stephon Gilmore. Right. Yeah, what was the number? We did this a couple weeks ago. It was like 11 corners over the age of 30 yeah. in the league last year, so less than one per team. I'm not... I'm actually not worried about the injury in terms of I think the Patriots will be able to handle it. Like I certainly am worried that there could be fallout from the injury, but there was the report from Mike Reese that this is all business. You know, there's no hurt feelings. There's no bad emotions. Everybody's on the level. And and we know Gilmore has been here and he's been working out here. So it seems like things are cordial enough where Gilmore would go through a physical or whatever needs to be done medically to check out before a new deal is signed. I don't think, I also just don't think the Patriots would sign a deal blindly. So I, I, you know, in terms of not knowing his health, it would scare me a lot to sign him if they didn't know anything about his health. I would think that, and this is just me guessing, like I don't know anything, but this is just an educated guess that the Patriots will have the full book on Gilmore's health if and when this deal gets done. I don't think they'll do it without knowing. Okay, so the other kind of question here as we continue on this Gilmore uh, conversation, and again, any questions, drop them in, and we'll move this on from Gilmore here in a second. But in terms of what could they actually get in a trade, I I think the we've talked about this in in a bunch of different ways, but I think what's interesting is the Patriots, unless they plan on spending big in free agency again next offseason, they are really looking at the equation of, is one year of Gilmore plus the comp pick that we get back if he does walk in free agency worth it versus maybe getting a late second round pick from a playoff team, right? And I don't even know if a second round pick is out there necessarily, but that's sort of the conversation that you're having is if we assume that we're not going to, we were big spenders this year, let's assume they're not going to be as big of spenders next year. So that contract won't cancel out in the comp pick formula. And we're going to get a third or fourth round pick back for Stefan Gilmore. If he signs for big money elsewhere, can the Patriots beat that in a trade this off season? And is it worth it for the Patriots to try to beat that? It's not worth it for them to trade them. It's, it's just not anything shy of, I think, multiple first round picks is not worth it because you're essentially re-entering the rebuild if you trade them. And I know they just brought in all this talent, but you talked about it earlier in the show, how much the Patriots defense is predicated on that true number one lockdown corner. The pass rush isn't going to matter if guys are getting open down the field. It's just not. So you're looking at without Gilmore, you're probably looking at another seven, eight win season, a 500 season. I, you need to really be able to energize your rebuild on the other side and come out and really, you know, go full send in 2022. So I would not trade Gilmore. Uh, I, you know, short of two first. I also don't think that's realistic. What they can get for him, I'm thinking right now, like a second and a fourth for Gilmore and a sixth would be the deal. But at the same time, and this goes to what we were talking about before, 
if Xavier Howard goes for two firsts, maybe a first round pick for Gilmore is realistic. It's going to, if, if Howard gets dealt, uh, I, I think that resets the price for Gilmore. At the same time, if Howard goes for a second, you're probably not getting more than a third. And at that point, it's not worth trading him at all. I don't think that would happen. If anything, a team probably overpays for Howard versus underpaying for him. But the market could be with, it's so rare you see two elite players at the same position on the market at the same time. Even if they're in different situations, this is a very similar situation. So the market can change like that if one of these guys gets moved. So the other kind of, the reason why I brought up this, the whole comp pick formula and stuff like that is the Patriots, theoretically, Stephon Gilmore does not have a no tag clause in his contract, right? So the Patriots theoretically could franchise tag Stephon Gilmore after this season if the two sides can't reach a long-term deal. And as we've seen in the past here in New England, you can flip a player on the tag, right? You can trade a player on the tag and the team would have until today was the deadline this year. We're at what July 15th. So the team would have that acquired him in a trade would have until about mid July to work out a long-term extension to get that cap number down. So uh, that's really what I, I feel like is another possibility here with Stefan Gilmore is that the Patriots either tag him to play him on the tag next year or reach a long-term extension with him themselves, or they could even move him on the tag at that point as well. I think that that's a really interesting proposition too. Now, Miguel well, Benson. Hang on. Let me ask you this. Who would you fast forward a year from now? Who would you rather tag, Stephon Gilmore or J.C. Jackson? Because they're both up. I would rather tag Stephon Gilmore and give J.C. Jackson a, a longer-term extension, right? So because you're willing you're willing to pay Jackson? I think you can pay Jackson a reasonable amount. I I don't think that Jackson's going to demand eighteen million dollars a year, right? Like I, unless he had, because if he's playing next to Stephon Gilmore all year long again. I think there are going to be question marks of, is he a true number one corner, right? So I, I the, the market is inflated now, so it's different. But just from a percentage of the cap standpoint, I think J.C. Jackson's looking at a very similar deal to what Malcolm Butler signed in Tennessee three years ago, right? Somewhere nowadays, that's probably closer to $14 million, right? $14.5 million a year. Right. I think I'm more comfortable at his age and with his production of giving JC Jackson a four or five year deal at $14 million per year than I would be giving Stephon Gilmore a three year deal at $18 million per year. So I, I think that there is a scenario where they can have both guys, at least in the in for 2022, or they can still edge their bets with trading him on the tag or something like that. Uh, Pat's cap, Miguel Benzon said that the, the tag would cost the Patriots about $20 million for Stefan Gilmore, which is a big number. Yeah. But I, I would look at that more as a placeholder than actually what he's going to play for next year. Maybe they do tack on some years to that contract. I don't like voided structures, but they could use a voided structure deal to spread out the cap hits. There are other things that you can look in there and say, okay, we can get this done and make sure that that number is down. And the Patriots, quite frankly, have the money to spend. You know, they're, right. they're not up against the cap. But is that also how you want to spend it? Is that the best way to spend it? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that their system is so dependent on having at least one, but probably better off having two good man coverage corners on the outside that it that that's where they probably should invest their money you know and yeah. 
that, that that's well, probably the spot that you want to be most sure of uh, from a defensive perspective. I guess the, the other thing to remember, I think I've made this point on this show before. I know I've made it somewhere is last time the Patriots were in this situation where they had a legit ace all pro corner and then a younger up and coming corner who looked like he could be a number one. You go back to 2014, right? Where they had Darrell Revis and Malcolm Butler. And right. how did they handle that situation? They didn't pay Revis, which turned out to be the right move because he pretty much fell off right then and there. I think he was yeah. 29. So he was a year younger at the time than Gilmore is now. He retired and then, a few years, you know, what, a year or two after he right. signed that deal with the Jets? And then what they did with the younger guy, instead of paying him long-term, they strung him along with team control deals, whether it was, you know, RFA tags. And then I think right. they transition tagged them, something like that. And they basically bought time until another ACE became available free via free agency, which is Stefan Gilmore. And I, again, I look at they're in a similar position and I wonder, do they not pay Gilmore because of his age string Jackson along as much as they can without committing heavy, heavy money to him. Yeah. And then, you know, pick a corner next year. And then the next two free agency classes, and not all of these guys are going to hit, but Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander, Marshawn Lattimore, these guys are all about to, to need new deals, whether they get re-signed or not. But, you know, the Packers have to re-sign everybody. Everybody on that roster is up in the next two years. To Darius Smith, Devonta Adams, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, there might need to be something with his contract. I know they say you can tweak the cap, but you can't pay everybody. So do they let you hear Alexander walk? In New Orleans, their cap situation is about to be a legendary mess. They may not be able to pay Marshawn Lattimore the one that I even would if look they at. want to. Yeah, that's the one yeah. I would look at. I, I don't think Jair Alexander is getting out of Green Bay. Uh, he, he's probably I, I, the I best don't think so, but stranger things have happened. In the league. Who would, so who would you rather keep, Jair Alexander or Devontae Adams? I mean, they can't figure, especially if Aaron Rodgers isn't there beyond this year, they they would have Jordan Love on a rookie contract. Like, I, I feel like they have to find, they could find a way to make that one. Yeah, I, I get, but but again, so you get my point. You, you don't get, you don't let guys like Jir Alexander, 24, 25 year old shut down right. corners, walk out the door. But, Marshawn Lattimore is already on his, what, third contract now in the NFL. Yeah. And, and he has, he has four void years. So he's on the last year of his deal. Yeah, he has four void years after this, so it is going to be incredibly hard to extend him. So, again, to go back to my point, I wonder if the Patriots look at some of these corners that are scheduled to come up and just kind of string JC Jackson along until they can go and, and you know give the Brinks truck to a true ace in free agency and then go into the draft this year and get you know whoever would be the next JC Jackson in that situation, the next Malcolm Butler, that one B guy. All right, so last point here, because all, all the chatter in, in the chat right now, Alex, is, is about Stefan Gilmore in this situation. So we'll keep it there for one more question, and that's yep. just – let's just say Stefan Gilmore isn't there. And and I think, you know, you've made the point, and I think it's a good one, that even if Stefan Gilmore is here, they still need a third outside corner. And let's say Stefan Gilmore or J.C. Jackson were to get hurt – you still have to look at the scenario of what's the depth like there and, and who is behind those two guys, regardless of Gilmore's here or not, where's your comfort level or maybe your panic meter. If a guy like Jalen Mills or Jawan Williams has to play significant snaps for the Patriots this year at outside corner, I, you know, Mills, I think right. if he played at safety, you'd be fine with it. Yeah, Mills, Mills is going to play and uh, yeah, he should be playing safety. Jawan Williams is the question because he's going to have to play. This is, I'll, I'll give you the stat again in case you haven't been watching for the last two months. Jason McCourty played 65% of the Patriots' defensive snaps last season. 
He is gone. They didn't bring in any obvious replacement. That's 65% of your snaps you got to replace. He played about 30% of those at safety. So maybe those go to Jalen Mills. Maybe they go to Kyle Duggar. Maybe they go to Adrian Colbert. Right. You're still looking at, I don't want to do math uh, off the top of my head on the air, like 35, 40% of your defensive snaps. Third of the time, half the time, you have to put another corner out there on the field. Right now, that's Juwan Williams. Now, they I'd like to think they took him in the second round for a reason. He's big. He's got long arms. He's built like a Patriots corner. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that there's been any red flags when he's been on the field. He just hasn't played a ton because he was buried behind this tremendous depth in Gilmore Jackson and McCourty. Now, I don't I don't know that he can't do it. I'd like to think that he can fill into to McCourty's role and, and play somewhat of a significant role. Being a second round pick, they can get some use out of him, but he's unproven. He's untested. It's, you know, as a third corner, that's probably fine because you can shield him as a second corner. Now you're looking at him playing 75 to 80% of your snaps. And for a guy who's never played more than 17% of the snaps in a season, that's a huge boost. If he's not up for it, you're going to be exposed on one half of the field in the passing game. That certainly could be a concern. So we'll see what he does in camp. If he looks up for it, maybe it, if he looks up to it, maybe it gives them some more flexibility. But again, you're taking a risk there. You're going with an unknown, and that's not something the Patriots ever like to do. Juwan Williams is a really interesting case of just he was a really raw tools-based prospect coming in. And when I say tools-based, I mean he had length, he had athleticism, he had good foot speed for his size, but all of those things were not technically refined at Vanderbilt, right? And, and on tape, he was a player that just scouts – that just base it off of tape that don't listen to what everybody in the league is saying that don't talk to people at, in schools and stuff like that, that just are listening to, or just watching it on tape did not like Jawan Williams's tape at all at his last year at Vandy, but he did have some moments against some really good receivers, right? Down there yeah. in the SEC guarding guys like AJ Brown, for instance, where he did have some good games against those players. So when you put, him in the right situation in the right matchup against a bigger bodied wide out where he can use his size and he went down i remember in a 2019 at joint practices with the tennessee titans he had a really competitive couple of periods against Corey davis right or, or just a big bodied receiver that's going to try to win at the catch point and juan williams was able to battle with him and, I, and let's let's not forget what Corey davis did to stefan gilmore that season right so it's really to me he's the type of player it consistently that i see doesn't look like he's necessarily swimming in it but he's got to be playing in his matchup at his area of the field, which is outside corner against a six foot three receiver. That's going to try to body him, right? If you put him against a shifty right. quick receiver, he's going to have problems when he's played inside and they've tried to have him guard tight ends beside. He had some good reps against Mike Kosicki last year in week one, but I haven't loved what I've seen with him going up against tight ends either. Wasn't he decent against Kelsey in 2018? Or am I remembering that wrong? That, that, I don't Well, 20, 2019, maybe, um, that that was he could have been i haven't i like what he does let me put you this way when no, he, he plays, should i i don't disagree with you he should be on the when outside. he plays a tight end that is more like a receiver right yeah. like a travis kelsey uh like a uh a mike Kosicki, who's mike really a, a big detached receiver right a guy that, yeah. that moves around a little bit but doesn't play with his hand in the dirt a whole lot he's okay but when the further that he moves inside the worse that he gets right though yeah. let's put it to you that way so i i think that that's going to be the concern with him is 
when they drafted him, we all kind of thought he was going to be the next Brandon Browner. And, and when Brandon Browner was here, he played a lot on the outside. There's no doubt about that. But he also played a lot inside against pass catching tight ends. And, and I think that's the role that they really wanted him to have. And, and it hasn't really completely come to fruition. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like Juwan Williams deserves a chance, but I am definitely, you know, managing my expectations with him. And I definitely don't want any part of Jalen Mills playing on, on the outside as a full-time player. If he's out there for a percentage of his snaps and he's rotating out there on occasion, then fine. But if he's going to be a primarily outside corner, then I, I, I hate the contract. I hate that they signed him over other guys that were free agents. Right. If you just want an outside corner, you could have signed an outside corner. You're, you're signing Jalen Mills because he played seven different positions last year and you want to maximize all seven of those. Real quick in the chat, because people are asking about Jonathan Jones. When you look at the yeah. cornerback position in the modern NFL, it's really two positions, right? Like, you know, you have early down backs, pass catching backs, outside receiver, slot receiver. Uh, at corner, you have the outside corner, which is Gilmore and Jackson. And then the slot receiver, which is Jonathan Jones, Kyle Arrington before him filled that role. So they could try Jones on the outside, but that's just not playing him to his strengths. He's been locked down in the slot for the last couple of years. I would leave him there. I wouldn't touch him. I just think that's where he's succeeding. Let him succeed there and, and figure out the rest of it with other players. Right. N- nickel. He's a nickel. He's a slot corner. He's playing inside. That's Juwan, uh, Jonathan Jones's role. That's also because I, I don't want to forget about him either. That's also going to be Miles Bryant's yes. role as well. So that probably those, some safety for Bryant. Yeah, too, yeah. And, and John Jones played a little bit of safety the last couple of years as well. Uh, since they lost to Ron Harmon, he's kind of filled in some of those roles too at times. So that that they're going to be inside the formation types of players. We're talking about outside guys. Uh, let's move over to the offense side of the ball. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Cam Newton's appearance uh, today on ESPN and radio um uh, oh wait wrong one but i i want to start with this one first with the offensive line uh, how good do we think the patriots offensive line can be i think is a question that we've answered a lot but the question i actually wanted to to answer was where's the hole or or, or where because we, we know that they on paper look very very good is there one area of this line that you're concerned a little bit of if you pull this piece out, the whole the whole tower can kind of come down. Yeah, uh, sorry, you cut out. Ask that again. I'm I'm just saying we know the offensive line on paper is really really good, but is there something that concerns you about this line, or do you think that there is a potential Achilles heel of this line? Uh I I really don't think so because it's not just the starting five are great. The depth are fantastic. Ted Karras is a starting caliber player who can play both center and guard. You have, I think Justin Heron is a really good backup tackle. Uh, you can't, you're not going to ask for much more for a back from a backup tackle, especially for what he's being paid. And then I also think they have something in William Sherman. So the starters are great. The depth is great. I mean, they could get really decimated by injuries, I guess, but you can't, I don't know that you could build a much better offensive line group than the one they have in place right now. I feel really good about it. We'll see if one of those veterans like an Alex Redmond makes the team that would just pump it up a little more. But I, 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 I really like this group. I can't find a fault with this group. Yeah, it's a great group. And I think the best part about it is that there is a lot of flexibility with Mike on Wenu. And that's why when I did my most important Patriots list that I had him on there was a, because he's a really good player, but B his ability. Okay. Let's say, because I think the biggest sort of question mark and what I was kind of alluding to is Isaiah wins 
injury concern, right? And yep. Brent Brown, I would say also recently with, with the Las Vegas Raiders, did not play all 16 games for Vegas either over the last couple of years. So both of those guys are prone to injuries. And the great thing that the Patriots have now, he's not going to play left tackle, but if Isaiah Wynn gets hurt, you bump Trent Brown back over to left tackle, you move on, you know, on Wynn out to right tackle, Ted Karras comes into the starting lineup, and the beat goes on. Right. And right. having all these different parts. And I think on Wenu and then also Karis being the sixth guy, right? Having him as your sort of top backup to the interior spots, he's a starting caliber offensive lineman that the Patriots are going to have as a top backup, which is a great problem to have or a great luxury to have, I should say. So they have depth. They have versatility. They can swing it, you know, whichever way they need Trent Brown to swing. I just, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to find a flaw in this offensive line. Is it top five? Is it top one? Is it the best line in the league? I mean, I don't know. Those rankings are always subjective, but I think it's going to be a, a up there with the best lines in football. And and I would say they will have a case by the end of the year to, to be the best line in football. I can't imagine there's a group. There, there Maybe there's a group that has more top end talent. Maybe there's a group that has more depth like individually, I can't imagine there's a group that has both, that has both the, the high end talent on the, in the starting group with, you know, David Andrews, Shaq Mason, Trent Brown, but then also has the depth provided by guys like Ted Karras, Michael Onwenu, even though he's a starter with his positional flexibility, I would also consider a depth piece. I, I doubt there's any group that's pairing those two elements together as well as the Patriots are. Okay, so I want to get on to these Cam Newton comments this morning. He went on with uh, Keyshawn Johnson. I do have a little breaking news here for what it's worth. It's not football, but it's a big deal. Okay, what is it? Red Sox-Yankees has been postponed tonight due to the Yankees having a COVID issue. Oh, wow. Jaron Duran was supposed to hit seventh. He was supposed to play center field. It was going to be his debut. Uh, that, That won't happen. Wow. All right. Well, we were going to do our Boston Sports Minute on... Uh, I still want to do it. I so still want to do it. it. It changes it. All right. Let's talk a little bit of Cam, though. Uh, today, he went on... I, I don't have a... There's a couple of questions of asking about this, but I, I don't want to get into it with the Cam stuff. Uh, that, that way, the, the questions were previously uh, kind of put okay. out there. So I'll just put Cam Newton on the bottom of the screen for us, and we can discuss this. He went on ESPN Radio today, Keyshawn Johnson's show, and he to- uh, spoke about basically how the Patriots have done everything he could have asked for. The experience has been everything that he could have asked for, but it's kind of put up or shut up time now for Cam, right? You know, he, he acknowledged that, that it's his time right now and it's his turn to give it back to the Patriots. The Patriots have given him this second chance. They've given him everything that they, he could have hoped for. And now he's kind of, he has to, you know, give it to them, give them what they, what they bargained for here. I, I love that Cam Newton is an accountable guy. I love that he says all these things in the media, but at some point, as he knows better than all of us, it it's just talk, right? You know, at, at some point you got to back up the talk on the field. Yeah. And that's kind of been the thing the whole time is everything he says is great. Right. He, and, and I don't mean that in entertaining it is, but he's also, I, I don't think he's ever ducked a question. I don't think he's ever talked around a question. Yeah. I mean, he tells you what he's thinking and he is honest and generally his mind is in the right place, you know, saying it's put up or shut up time. He's right. Right. He's right. We've been saying that for months and he's not a guy who's going to say, well, you know, I can't let the pressure get to me. No, he knows what it is. So, you know, you appreciate that. But at the same time, you know, sometimes when you hear a player be so upfront, it's refreshing because you think, okay, wow, they really get it. And I'm not saying Newton doesn't get it, but it, 
this doesn't signal a change in his mindset, right? He's been, and he said that he had a change in his mindset, but he's been, he's been acting this way publicly facing the whole time. So we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but he's always been very accountable. I don't want it to come across like him being accountable is a bad thing. I'm not knocking him for that. I'm just saying that at a certain point, you have to start taking it with a grain of salt because we've been down this road before. So I love everything he said. Uh, I, I, I do buy into the fact that, you know, if he's upset with the Mac Jones pick, he's using that to fuel him instead of letting it discourage him, right? He's using that as motivation, like Brady did with Garoppolo in 2014. So I, sure. I liked what he said, but I've liked what he said. He's said a lot of the way, you know, his time in New England. It's just we're waiting to see it transition to results or turn into results on the field. The last part of that quote, too, was him saying that this year he's focused on staying in his wheelhouse. And, yeah. and I felt like that was kind of sneakily the most important part of the entire quote, right? Like all the motivational stuff about how he's going to, you know, play better for the Patriots because they've done the, him a solid and he, it's time for him to kind of you know hold up his end of the bargain. All that's great. But saying stay in your wheelhouse to me really spoke to the fact that last year, I'm not going to say he was trying to be Tom Brady, but he was trying to fit into Tom Brady's offense, right? And he was trying to run the Tom Brady offense. And when I heard that about staying in my wheelhouse, it, it does lend itself. And I think this would be a positive thing for the Patriots if they do uh, hold off on putting Mac Jones in the starting lineup and they do keep Cam in there, that they are going to cater things and cam is going to cater his playing style back to the typical cam newton what we're used to seeing vertical passing uh, using his legs obviously uh you know doing things that are cam like and last year i think a lot of the time especially when they got into obvious passing situations second and long third and long things like that it reverted back to Haas juke and all the patriot stuff right you know all, all the brady stuff right. And even some of the under center play action stuff was really heavy uh, on the Brady influence. And hopefully staying in Cam's wheelhouse, if he is the starting quarterback next year, means playing to Cam Newton's strengths as a passer as well and not making him kind of be this uh, round hole trying to fit into a square peg. So I, I hope that those wheelhouse comments sort of speak to the fact that the Patriots recognize, okay, we need to move the offense away from certain things. If we're going to stick with Cam, at least for this year, we definitely need to move the offense away from certain things and on to more Cam-like passing, which again – is more vertical throwing, right? Instead of right. having a receiver, you know, running play action, having that receiver cross over the middle of the field, have him run up the seam, right? Instead of having him throw off a play action to a moving target over the middle, have him throw a comeback or a deep hitch or something like that. Those are the things that Cam has always been better at. And I, I hope that that's the way that this offense is going to go. It is, but I mean, we've heard this before and we'll hear it again. McDaniels wants to do what McDaniels wants to do and there does have to be a happy medium. Uh, the question is how much can they pair it? The other thing is you do, to a certain extent, have to keep the offense tailored for Mac Jones because it may not be this year, should be this year, may not be this year, but he's going to be the starting quarterback for this team at some point and his style doesn't exactly match up with Newton's style and you don't want to drift so far in one direction where you're then asking Jones to play out of character and screw yeah. his so that that adds and we talked about this during the draft right pairing the bridge with the draft pick and the Patriots didn't exactly do that 
And that doesn't make things impossible, but it adds this extra layer where you got to make sure both guys are accommodated. You want Cam to be able to do what he needs to do to succeed to win games, but you don't want to stunt Mac Jones' growth at the same time. Right. I agree with that as well. All right. Let, let's talk about uh, old friend Cassish Marsh here for a oh, second. No, no. Hang on. No, we're not going to do it because this is exactly what he wants. He does, does is a washout. He is a washout who has played for five teams. And by the way, I liked Cassius Marsh when they signed him. I, I liked him as a player. Young. I was a fan of his in Seattle. And he has one valid point. They didn't use him right. That was that weird Matt Patricia era where they loved to drop the defensive ends into coverage. And he had Trey right. Flowers manning up wide receivers, and that made no sense. But I'm sorry. They made you treat your job like a job. You had to turn your phone off during meetings. You only got 15 minutes for lunch. Evan, I still haven't eaten lunch today. And this isn't even like a real job that we do. He, he's a, he's been a washout since. He never recovered from that. The Patriots are clearly still in his head. It's affecting his play. He just wants to get his name out there so he can jumpstart whatever's next, whether it's Magic the Gathering or whatever. I really don't want to give him the time, even though I just did. I guess he wins, but it's it's so stupid. I, and we're we're, we're going to go back to this with the Patriots aren't fun. How'd that work for Lane Johnson? Devin McCourty and Deron Harmon celebrating at the parade. Hopefully this uh, has the same effect, but let's not do the Patriots how, aren't fun thing again. How can we I have hate, a Patriots hate, not, hate that conversation. How can we have a Patriots not fun conversation after the free agency that they just had, right? Like, yes. they, like they, it didn't seem like Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Matt Judon, it list goes on, really care too much about how much fun the Patriots are having. Now you could obviously say that they got paid to not care, but you know what I'm trying to say. And I just, I am fascinated by Cassish Marsh that he continues to come, like make himself the story and continues to get us to talk about him, continues to have him write headlines about a player that was here, what, for a couple of games? And, nine games. Yeah, nine games. And it, it it's just fascinating to me that that this guy continues to talk about the Patriots and he knows it's the most, it's the way to make himself the most relevant, right? He knows that this is the only way he's going to be relevant. So he continues to do it. And despite years and years of sort of, you know, anecdotes and evidence to the contrary that uh, teams don't like players, players don't like playing here, that this is too hard of a program here. It's too hard for some people. It's not for everybody. I think Dion Branch is the one that, that said that this week after the Marsh comments that not everybody's going to love playing in New right. England, but true football players love it. And nobody, nobody, comes away from the Patriots besides guys like Marsh and says that they were mistreated or not fairly treated. You know what I mean? And, and, and so you're not allowed to look at your phone during a meeting. You shouldn't be allowed to look at your phone during a meeting. This is, you're supposed to be paying attention to your job. Your boss is sitting up there talking during a meeting you're not going to sit there on your cell phone texting all the time, the whole time, right? Like any one of us is all, also going to stay off our phones, but that that's enough about cash smart. We, we, we've given him. Uh, it's, you know, again, it, yes, it's not for everybody, but I'll go back to this. He was, cause I'll talk about cash Marsh. I won't give him the time of day about his comments about the Patriots. He was a good player in Seattle. He played a very key role in Seattle on a good defense for three years came to New England for nine weeks. He's been a journeyman since. Clearly, whatever happened to him in New England, you know, screwed him up. And, all, you know, again, five teams in four years, you know that old anecdote? If you have a bad story about every roommate you've ever had, you're probably the bad roommate. Yeah. 
All right, let's, let's talk about some Nikhil Harry stuff. So really right now, uh, there's not you know a whole lot going on with Nikhil Harry. I just Harry. say Cassius Marsh, Nikhil Harry. I pitched before the show that we should just spend the time naming random former Patriots, like that tweet that went viral today. I, I, I'm kind of liking my plan, but let's do Nikhil Harry. So a couple of days ago, I think it was on Tuesday, Josina Anderson uh, reported that Nikhil Harry is still planning on reporting to Patriots training camp. Now the Patriots can fine him $50,000 for every day. He doesn't show up and he's only making a couple million bucks. So right. he's on his rookie contract and getting fined 50 K on your rookie contract is not exactly an easy pill to swallow. So rookies are supposed to hold out. You're right. So that's exactly why he's going to show up to training camp. I have heard the two teams that I have heard have at least shown some preliminary preliminary interest in trading for Nikhil Harry are the Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now the Falcons makes, I think a lot of sense just from what they just lost in Julio Jones and having that outside receiver and what they have around a player like Nikhil Harry. Cause Calvin Ridley is as tactical as it comes for in terms right. of route running and precision. Kyle Pitts is a very, very fast tight end, basically a, a jumbo wide receiver. So they have some speed on the offense side of the ball to kind of, you know, uh, supplement Nikhil Harry's skill set. They could use some size outside of Pitts on that team, I suppose. So I, I could see the Falcons thing from everything that I, I've been told the Nikhil Harry's camp is really putting Arizona out there because he uh-huh. wants to go home. He's from Arizona. He spends a lot of his off season in Arizona. So that, that that's from Nikhil's side that they well, want Arizona. And that was the report during free agency was the Cardinals. Right. And I, I think Washington was may this was like two, three months ago. I know Washington was in there. Maybe they're out at this point. I know they drafted a couple of receivers, but that would be the fourth team I'd add. Uh, that's just been connected. I hadn't heard so Falcons or Eagles. Is that you? Cause I hadn't seen that. That is me. Yes. Oh, uh, the, the Falcons and the Eagles are the two teams that I, I know I've had discussions about it. I don't think that those have advanced anything beyond just, would we be interested in the player period? And yeah. still the asking price for everything that you sort of hear is at best, maybe a fifth round pick, right? We're probably talking closer to a sixth round pick. Maybe the Patriots can work in some language in that deal where if Nikhil Harry plays X percentage of snaps or Nikhil Harry, uh, you know, catches X percentage of balls or, you know, catches over 35 or over 40 passes or whatever, then maybe, they can get a little bit more compensation, but it's looking really dire. And and I think a lot of teams recognize that if the Patriots just hold on to Nikhil Harry and they decide not to trade him, that not, not besides the fact that he's unhappy. uh, Secondly to that, there's also sort of a concern that maybe they just cut him, right. You know, maybe, maybe he doesn't even make the team coming out of training camp and he can get him for nothing. So that that's, I think, the, the difficulty is the Patriots just have next to no leverage here in this situation because they have a player that has been a bust for them as a first-round pick, and they have a player that, you know, really doesn't want to be here. So it, it's just kind of a, a mixed bag right now. And I, I, I think if they came away with a fifth-round pick, if they, if they really truly want to move them and they came away with a fifth-round pick, they would be doing well. I so I wonder if you mentioned a conditional pick there. If on the Patriots, I almost lower my expectations if I can add conditions, right? So it's would you rather get a sixth 
or get a seventh that turns into a fifth if Nikhil Harry does X, Y, and Z, right? I would almost, because at that point in the draft, give me the seventh, and if it can grow into a fifth, I'll take that shot. And I wonder if that maybe gets the deal done a little quicker because then it's in the control of the team who who gets Nikhil Harry and they decide, you know, through camp, hey, you know what? This guy wasn't really worth it. We're just going to cut him. We'll only give up the seventh. So I... I wonder if the Patriots, I don't know if that's leverage, if that would be leverage from the Patriots being able to, you know, being more willing to take a deal like that. But I would certainly be open to a conditional deal instead of just getting a flat pick. Yeah, I think the the one advantage that the Patriots have in this trade negotiation is that he is still on his rookie contract for two more years. So it's right. cheap it's cheap labor, right? You know, it is somebody that's under contract, that's not expensive. And if you convince yourselves, like we've been talking about a lot with Nikhil Harry, that if you convince yourselves that a system, a change in system, a change in scenery, all these types of things will bring out a better version of Nikhil Harry. Well, maybe he's not worthy of still of being a first round pick or being 32 overall in a draft. But if he's gives you decent, production for a guy that you only gave up a fifth or a sixth or a seventh round pick for then you can obviously feel really good about it so if i'm the patriots again i'm looking at a pick that gets better if he if he gets better right you know we'll right. call it a sixth let's give a you know, give us a fifth if he plays 40 percent of your snaps or 50 percent of his snaps or something like that because uh, other than that it, it does not seem what as you would expect that this is not a lucrative trade market i think there are teams that are interested in the player but they're not very interested in giving anything up for him yeah so at a certain at a certain point something's going to have to change and maybe that's simply one of those teams you mentioned or another team they have a receiver gets hurt in camp and they need the body and suddenly they're a little more desperate something like that uh but as i've said before i think it's in the patriots best interest and harry's best interest to get this deal done before camp We'll see if that ends up happening. They probably get more if they wait. So it's, you know, give and take. But All right. So let's get off the Nikhil Harry thing and go completely different direction with this and talk about a player in Adrian Phillips that I find really fascinating because I thought Adrian Phillips had a great year last year. The coaches really heaped a lot of praise on him for his performance last year. And they go out in free agency and they signed Jalen Mills. They drafted Kyle Duggar last year with their top pick in the draft. And it just feels like there's a lot of bodies there. And, and every single time we do a de- we did our defensive preview on Tuesday and we discussed the safety position a little bit, when I write things up about the safeties, I, I think to myself, Adrian Phillips is a really solid player, but they're going to want to play Duggar more. They clearly have a role in mind for Jalen Mills because they just paid him a pretty good amount of money to come here. So where does that leave Adrian Phillips in the mix? I mean, is he somebody that is, I think he'll still be here but is he going to be somebody that plays a whole lot less? So I, like a a couple months ago, I think it's probably right after the draft. I had him as, you know, a potential surprise cut. Yeah. I'm leaning away from that because I think that as good as he was last year, there's a ton of room for natural growth. He was playing a position he never played before. It was almost like a rookie year. And, you know, you talk about the year two jump and things like that. So, I, I I do really like what he brings to the table, but you mentioned the snaps declining. I, you know, Duggar's got to get on the field more. The question is, where do you do it? Are you using three safeties with two in the box instead of two high, like they traditionally did with Jerron Harmon? Are you using two high and then Phillips? Is it like, or are you replacing Phillips? They've got to figure out a way to get Duggar on the field more. There are ways to do that 
without limiting Adrian Phillips snaps, but are those the most effective ways? It's hard to tell. So we'll see. Uh, I, and we talked about this last show too, Evan starter is such a tough term on this defense. Yeah. Because a guy might start, but only play 20, 25% of the snaps. It's going to be so rotational. So that probably works in Phillips favor where his snaps will decrease, but everybody's snaps for the most part will decrease relative to what they were last year. But it's tough to tell. I, I do think he needs a good camp. I, I think that if he comes out and he struggles, there's going to be some second guessing of his role on the roster. That being said, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I think there's room for natural growth. I actually think he's going to ha- have a really good year, but he kind of needs to. He is in a little bit of a corner right now. It's tough because that money backer role has Kyle Duggar's name written all over it, right? Is that sort of... right? strong safety and base, but more of like a money backer when they're in like nickel formations and stuff like that. And and you look at that and you just sort of think that that's gotta be where Duggar is going to play. And then maybe a little bit on the back end as well, but that's got to cut into Adrian Phillips's snaps. Are they're not going to play seven DBs, at least not all well, the time. So right. So let me ask, have- well, let me ask you this. Bill Belichick loves to innovate to, to money backer defense. The, well, the Chargers did that, and that was when Adrian Phillips kind of got that first taste of basically playing inside linebacker, was right. on that Chargers team in the 2018 postseason that beat Lamar Jackson in his rookie year. They put they basically based out of quarters, uh, based out of 7 DB, because they had a lot of injuries at linebacker and, and just didn't have the linebacker right. depth to put anybody out there. So they basically based out of quarters, and – a lot of people sort of was like, were, were thinking, oh, th- this could be the next generation. And then the 2018 Patriots came out in the I formation and ran right over them. And that was the end of that, right? You know, like that, that, that's sort of, unfortunately, I, I think that there's a lot of limitations for that type of play. But certainly on third and 12, I mean, you're definitely going to see formations, I think, where the Patriots put six, seven guys, you know, defensive backs out there. And that's when you can, you know, empty the the uh, the bag of Adrian Phillips and Jalen Mills and Duggar and all these guys on the field together at the same time. Uh, but it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how Adrian Phillips factors in. I think luckily his special teams ability makes sure that he's going to be on the team because even if he is the reserve, the backup to Kyle Duggar, he's at least got that special teams role to be able to contribute on four or five different units and, and be active in the kicking game. So he'll have a role and, and he'll be a, a really good insurance policy. I, I just, he played a ton of snaps last year. It's hard to imagine that he comes to that, you know, close to that number this year. Yeah. I, I, I got another more to add. I agree. Well, put. all right. Next question. Uh, now, of course we've got questions rolling in after we've been going for 52 minutes. Uh, which tight end has the bigger impact, Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry? I think this is a really great question because I just did my most important Patriots list and I had Hunter Henry at number five and I had John who I think it was at number eight. So my argument was that with Hunter Henry, when it's third and eight and they absolutely got to have a first down through the air, they didn't – Jacoby Myers was was good in that type of capacity at times, but they really needed a matchup weapon, like somebody that could just go out and get them a first down when they absolutely needed to have it. I called it high-leverage situations, right? Third down, red area, fourth quarter, you know, game-winning drive. Who am I going to if I'm Cam Newton or Mac Jones? And that, that kind of – ability for hunter henry to be that matchup weapon that guy that can really defeat man coverage and run good routes and be that possession receiver 
that outweighed the versatility, the Swiss Army knife kind of ability of Johnny Smith. But obviously, Johnny's upside, I think, is so high that I could I can be talked into the Johnny side of it. But the reason why I put Henry above Johnny was because when I absolutely need to have it, I'm taking the route runner, the technician over the guy that you kind of have to scheme open a little bit. So I'm going to kind of, you know, like, you know how sometimes with the most valuable player we did, we people like to dig into the definition of valuable to make their point. Right. So bigger impact. If we're talking about who is the bigger impact on what happens with this offense, I will say John U. Smith. I think Hunter Henry ends up with better stats. Maybe John who beats him in catches. I think uh, Hunter has, has more yards, more touchdowns. But in terms of impact, and we talked, I, I don't remember if it was Tuesday or last Thursday that we talked about this, Evan, that the Patriots offense is so much better when they have that, that jack in the box. You know, that, that's really bad because that means something else with football. But that guy who, that wild card, that guy who can line up anywhere, run any route, you know, right. how do you cover him? Safety, linebacker, corner, you don't know. John U. Smith is that guy. The Patriots offense, I think, is going to be schemed around all the wacky stuff they're going to have John U. Smith do. So you want to yeah. talk about offense? Who's going to, who's going to be the one the defenses set their coverage around? That's going to be John U. Smith. But what that's going to do is open up Hunter Henry to be, I guess, productive would be the word. So bigger impact, John, to answer the question directly, but who will have more production statistically, I think, is Hunter Henry. And it, they're, the two are interconnected. Yeah, I actually, that's exactly what I wrote in my MIPs list was John. I didn't read it. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I will. Ability, I will. Johnny's ability to do so many different things and line up in so many different places and be so versatile is going to allow Josh McDaniels to really set the matchups and really morph the lines, right? He can be 12 personnel. He can be 21 personnel. He can be 11 personnel all with, Hey, they could be 10 personnel because they can put Johnny at tailback and and have him run, you know, run the football out of the backfield. So they can be, or I guess that whatever you get my point. They can be so many different things with Johnny on the field that that versatility is, I think, going to be key to their identity as an offense, right? I think their identity is going to be like it is when it, when they were at their best. We're this chameleon offense, right? We're everything, right. And, and you're going to have to prepare for everything. But I think that Hunter Henry is going to be the more reliable target in the passing game, even if Johnny is sort of the schemed weapon. So I, I think that they're both going to be extremely important. That's why they both made the list. Uh, but but that's you know a long way answer to this question of you know who's going to be have the bigger impact. I kind of I agree with the way what you said was johnny has got the bigger schematic impact, but Hunter Henry's the high leverage target, right? So it's sort of, uh, they both are going to be very, very impactful. All right, last question, and then we're going to do our our quick Boston sports minute here at the end of the show. But I I like this question from Mike. Um, With all the defensive additions, do you think defense can get pressure up front without blitzing? Because Bill Belichick, no matter who, unless it's Matt Patricia calling plays, uh, the Patriots have been a team that when they have the versatility and they have the depth and they have the experience that they have up front right now are a very attack-minded front seven, a team that is definitely a blitz-heavy team. Now, they did go out inside Matt Judon. They brought Kyle Van Noy back. They have Josh Uche now in the pass rush. Dante Hightower is obviously back in the mix. Christian Barmore, I think, is a big one-on-one winner in terms of on the defensive line. Dietrich Wise can win a little bit one-on-one. But I still think that this is going to be a – 
pressure from scheme cover on talent type of team, just like kind of the 2019 Patriots and the 2018 Patriot defense were. Yeah, this is a really good question. I, I, I do think they're going to be able to get some pressure without blitzing. I think what's more important is they're going to be able to get pressure with the blitz sending five as opposed to six or seven. I think their five-man rush is going to be incredibly impressive because when you look at, I mean, I'll just go off the top of my head starting four, but you can you can interchange yeah. these guys. Let's call it wise guy, wise guy, wise guy, Van Noy, and Judon, right? So those are your four, you know, linemen, outside line, edge rushers, whatever. Those four guys are coming. But then in that second level, you have Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, Adrian Phillips. You can send any one of those guys and you can send them all interchangeably. And I think especially against some of these younger quarterbacks that they're going to be facing, right? Zach Wilson, Tua, they're going to be able to have different five-man rush looks and really keep the quarterback and the offensive line on their toes. So, you know, I think between Judon, Van Noy, and Uche, they're going to get pressure with four. They'll be able to get pressure with four. But what I'm really excited about is the different variations of a five-man blitz they'll be able to have because it will allow Belichick to kind of go onto his chessboard and just kind of really toy with the brains of some of these quarterbacks. Yeah, I definitely still think this is a disguise a sim pressure blitz, whatever you yeah. want to call it type of team. It's not necessarily going to be all out blitzes all the time, but four or five man p- packages where they're either stunting or they're twisting or they're picking or they're blitzing one guy and dropping another guy. And they're showing all these different looks and they're making the quarterback decipher post-snap who's coming, who's dropping and where they're coming from. And I think that's going to be uh, this defense again, just like the 2019 team. We got really caught up. I thought in 2018, 18, 19 with the zero pressure, right? That, that was right. a big deal. But what was mostly what was happening was like, you know, when Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts, a lot of that was because they would put one guy over the edge over here and put another guy right next to him standing up and one guy would drop and one guy would rush. And once the ball was snapped, it was on quarterback and offensive line to figure out which one's which. And I, I still think that's, the hallmark of a good Bill Belichick defense is having the experience and having the sort of guys with the football IQ to be able to pull off those types of schemes up front. This is never going to be the 07 Giants, right? Where you got four guys up front with Michael Strahan and, and, you know, all these guys that are just going to, we're going to drop seven, we're going to rush four and we're going to get, after the QB that way, I think they're always going to scheme it up. And guys like Van Noy, guys like Judon, uh, th- those guys uh, played in schemes, whether it was here with the Patriots and Van Noy or in Baltimore with Judon, he played in a scheme that was a big, you know, kind of exotic pressure type of package, right? And, right. and it wasn't necessarily in Baltimore all about one-on-one rushing either. Well, I, I think too, and we we talk, we've talked about this this summer. Yeah, we're we're really just broken records at this point. We need some news. Oh, yeah. We need camp. Um, this it's this July fifteenth. <laughs> yeah, th- this could be a good year for the Amoeba defense to come back, and I think that plays into everything you just said. Yeah. with with disguising what they're doing, you, they were too young to do it last year. You really need guys who have the experience, who've been through it, who can react without thinking. I'm not saying that you know their young players don't have a high football IQ, but. There's no substitute for game reps. There's no substitute for experience. Uh, now that they have a bit more of a veteran defense, I really think, and then like you mentioned with the, with their love of the disguised blitzes, I think that we see the Amoeba defense come back, maybe not right away, but you'll, you'll see it more and more as the season goes on this year. 
All right, let's wrap it up. Let's do this Boston Sports Minute. I am yeah. disappointed that the Red Sox aren't going to play tonight, so that means we will have to wait uh, one more night. I would assume. Uh, I mean, at, at least one more. Tomorrow. At least one more. Some of these have been like, you know, the COVID stuff, you don't know. It can go a week, right. it can go two weeks. The Yankees are saying they have three positives, three more pending. But, Jeez. yeah, no, it's it's really exciting because they didn't just call up Duran. They called up Tanner Houck as well today. Right. So you know, they're sliding into the youth and one, I'm really excited to see what Jaron Duran can do and getting him out in center field puts Kike Hernandez back on the bench as a Brock Holt utility guy where he should be and get Marwin Gonzalez on the DL. Danny Santana goes back down. It puts everybody back in the place they should be. Uh, Houck's interesting. I'd like to see him in the rotation. They said he's going to start in the bullpen. I would just pull Garrett Richards at this point. I don't really know why they're not, but you have to wonder, and this is the question now, the trade deadline is two weeks from today, two weeks from tomorrow. It's July 30th this year because uh, they didn't want to have it on a Saturday where there's day games. Are Duran and Hauk up because the Red Sox want an infusion of youth as they make a playoff push and, and try to hold this division lead, or are they up as a showcase for the deadline? I think it's the former especially with Duran. How maybe it's a little bit, little bit of a showcase. Uh, if a team, you know, offers up a really good player, we're talking about, you know, Chris Bryant here, Craig Kimbrell, right. but I, I, you know, d- that's worth, worth noting. I, I had today, 98.5, the sports I put out my list of, you know, would be trade deadline targets, but you got to start thinking about this now with, with these younger guys coming up and some of the younger guys who are up to like, like Bobby Dalbeck, if Michael Chavis comes back up, these guys are showcasing right now for the deadline. That's what these next two weeks are. And the Red Sox need to do something at the deadline. Doesn't need to be a blockbuster deal. Doesn't need to be a splash. But, you know, a small move here or there could make a big difference, like Steve Pierce and Nathan Navaldi in 2018. So keep that in the back of your mind, too, when you watch these younger players. I really hope that Duran's not here to, for as trade bait. I don't think he is. But I, I don't know. think he's here. You know, I'm discussing, but. I really hope not because I've heard so many good things about this, about him and, and just about his ability. And as somebody that could be kind of, you know, I, I, you don't want to say as good as like a Mookie Betts cause that's getting crazy, well, but he, so, he could, he could be somebody that could be in the Red Sox outfield for the next decade. Right. You know, so, and, and that's well, what you not if he's like Mookie Betts, but, but <laughs> so, so here's where the Mookie Betts comparisons come from. Cause I was in Lowell with the spinners when Jaron Duran was drafted and when he came up and the parallels are actually eerily similar. Duran was a low, uh, a high single digits round pick. He was the seventh round. I think Mookie was the fifth. Uh, He was a second baseman coming up who transitioned to the outfield because of an injury. And it was the only way he was going to play the, the, with the spinners, there was a Red Sox second round pick named Cole Brandon. He hurt his ankle a week into the season. Duran wasn't playing. And he basically said, Hey, if you need me to play center field, I'll play center field. That's how he got, he really was supposed to kind of be a, a long-term project until yeah. Cole Brandon got hurt. Mookie was the same thing. He moved into the outfield because somebody got hurt and then it just kind of took off. The bat speed is comparable. When you look at just the, 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 not not power in terms of home run power, but how quickly they get the bat through the zone and it helps them spray the ball all over the field is very similar between both. Uh, the 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 quickness of both is very similar. Also, both debuted or probably with Duran will debut at Yankee Stadium. So there there are you know the 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 ETA was the same thing. They came through at the same time. They sort of made the same jump. So it's very very similar. And I always compare it. I was on the Hardcore Baseball podcast with Matt McCarthy. And he's like, you can't compare Duran to Edelman or, or sorry, Duran to Betts, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, it's like the, the Wes Welker, Julian Edelman thing. 
Right. We could compare Edelman to Welker because it was, oh, they've done this before. It's the same thing we're doing with Gunner. Gunner's not necessarily going to be Edelman, but it's a similar path. So we right. can just point out and say, hey, they've had this kind of player before and look what it look what it did. Jaron Duran is to Mookie Betts as Gunnar Oshevsky is to Julian Edelman. There you go. That there's your we had to get some cross sports analogy in in here by the end of the show. So I love how that. many people just tuned out. Uh, about forty five. Uh, <laughs> Actually, oh, ow, ow. Uh, last one, one here at the Boston Sports Minute. Oh, actually, uh, two more, two more things. Yeah. Really quickly, thumbs up, thumbs down on Britt and Carlo sticking around. I go thumbs up on that one. Both, both reported contracts, Carlo. That's a great deal, and supposedly, I don't know if this was your second one or not, but they're close to Taylor Hall, which is yeah. Also I wanted up. that. That was my second one. I definitely want to see Taylor Hall's contract done. Let, let Let's keep that guy here. I just think what he brought to the Bruins second line next to David Krejci was was such a, a huge part of what. And if Krejci's not here, it will be it will be Charlie Coyle, right? You know, centering the second line, and I, I just think that's a massive part of uh, what made that Bruins team really. Get, get our hopes up you know they, they yeah. end up panning out but they got our hopes up and it, i think it turns out that the islanders were actually a really really good hockey team i mean they took uh tampa to seven and tampa, uh, they should have beat them they should the goalie yeah. got hot Bruins should have yeah beat all right uh very last thing here uh team usa basketball uh in the olympics alex uh you and i have gone back and forth a little bit about this already off the air just about our concerns about team usa but the biggest concern is Right knee soreness for Jason Tatum, I think, I think it that's is. What it, it was knee. I don't remember. Yeah, knee soreness knee. or something like that for Jason Tatum. Look, I, I enjoy the Olympics. I enjoy Team USA basketball every four years. But they can do let, – let's put Jason Tatum on the back burner if we can, Team USA. And, and let's, let's not make sure that we do anything stupid because obviously I care way more about Jason Tatum, the Celtic, than Jason Tatum, the Team USA player. Yeah, I, I'm I, – it's such a risk that he's playing there. And if he recruits Bradley Beal, it's going to be worth it. Right. But th- this is how well, Bradley Beal might not even be going to the Olympics anymore because. Oh, that's the, true. Uh... Cause they got COVID problems. Right. Uh, this is how it started. Kemba, his knee was sore. That's yeah. how it started. So you never know what's going to come of this. Hopefully he rests, shuts down, whatever. I team USA might need him, which is kind of scary. Oh, they, they definitely should, need him. They shouldn't have lost either of those games. They lost. They were favored by thirty against Nigeria. After they, they beat Argentina since we mm. we, we, we talked Did about. You this see that? Luis Gola's out there, like forty-five years old, as a starting oh, yeah. power forward. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Do you do you, are you still? Because we were, I think, half joking. But mysterious that the team might not medal, right, or, or might have right. a, a difficult time. But how how where's your panic panic meter? Uh, with, with Team USA right now? Uh, none of the rosters are that great. If Spain had their usual team, you know, if France had their usual team, if Australia had, Australia already beat them, but if, you know, Australia had Simmons, I might be more right. concerned. I will say this, if Tatum doesn't play and you're looking at a duel between Kevin Durant and Luca in the gold medal game, that's a toss-up to me. Because that's been my pick, is is Luca's going to get his country to the, to the championship. That's been my sleeper I, yeah. pick. And because basketball, nine times out of 10, the best player on the floor wins. Luke is the second best player in this tournament besides Kevin Durant. If you get Luke and Durant in the final, that would be quite the story. And I, I might, and I'm totally blanking on Luca's country. I want to say it's Slovenia. But it's Slovenia. It, it, Slovenia, it Slovakia, there's a mi- million of them. Slovenia, right. So if, if, if he gets Slovenia there and, and, and Tatum's not playing, that could be interesting. So 
Apparently, oh, Beal is out for the Olympics. Thank you. Right. Is Nikola is Jokic playing in? in Jokic the is not playing. Is that is that because his team didn't qualify, or or what's the deal with that? No, I uh, well, I think they didn't qualify because he didn't play. Okay, like, he didn't it. play in the qualifying games, but he. I remember like right after the playoffs ended, he was just like, "I'm not playing." I think he just right. wanted to and, rest. And, and Giannis is not playing, or Greece is not playing, or Greece or, didn't or make it. Yeah, because they they had a, they had to qualify early, and he was still. I mean, he, he's still going. So right, because like I don't yeah. think Booker's joining Team USA. I think the final guy right. That's a big part of it now. too. Booker right. and Chris Middleton are both guys that are supposed to be with Team USA right now, and neither one of them are. Not that they would. And let's not be- act like Kevin Durant. Uh, not Kevin Durant. Let's not act like Kevin Love is a top twenty player. They no. made choices that made the roster worse. I, I think Chris Middleton and Devin Booker actually helped this team out. You know, especially Devin Booker. So may- maybe they can get Devin Booker. He's young. You know, he he's a young guy, but I doubt it. I, I'm sure that he's going to hang it up uh, or at that uh point as well all right that was the boston sports minute we do this after every single show where this is really like just me and alex kind of uh being able to uh to talk some boston sports that are not the patriots here in the off season so uh we try to do these uh once a week towards the end of the show but if you want to listen to the actual patriots talk of the show first hour is all patriots talk so you can check that out and check out our youtube channel Patriots press pass. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so Alex and I can continue to bring these lovely podcasts to you twice a week. But until then, signing off uh, for Tuesday. Sorry, I have to preview Tuesday's show as well. On Tuesday, we are going to do the offensive side of the ball, our training camp preview on offense, just like we did defense uh, this past Tuesday. Next Tuesday will be offense. The week after that, Believe it or not, we're already at training camp. I, I I can't believe that. And that is going to be awesome as well. It sounds like based off of some of the things we've been hearing this week from the media side of things, that Alex and I uh, will definitely both be out there for practice during training camp. So that's going to be exciting. So we'll do recap shows from training camp. Well, not from training camp, but after training camp, after watching practice. So that will be exciting. So that is in a couple of weeks uh, July 27th. Also, can I float something we've talked about that's not confirmed yet, but I'd love – do you know what I'm sure. talking about here for the season? Sure. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think, I think so. Go for it. If you would ever be interested, hypothetically, because me and Evan have floated this, and I'm just curious what people think. Tweet at us, at Easy Lazar, at Real Alex Barth. Let us know. If you would be interested, if we did a live show at like a bar or something, and would you like come down and watch? hypothetically if we did that i don't i'm not saying it's going to happen i don't know if it's going to happen just floating it. just floating we, we, is that is that what you, sure what you if you, if you like the idea let us know on twitter let us know in the comments section we would love to do it with you guys if you come down uh to the bars at, at patriots place or even here in downtown boston uh we can figure something out with some of the local bars and i uh, do a live show from the bar it'll be a really good time so uh let us know let us know if there's interest if you guys are interested in uh checking it out we'll definitely try to put it together and then uh, again on tuesday we'll be back here uh, normal time four o'clock on the podcast to break down the offensive side of the ball heading into training camp. Thanks so much for watching, guys, and we'll see you Tuesday.